0: Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, July 8th, and we're talking tech and online dating. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined in the studio by Fool.com Sarah Priestley. Sarah, how's it going? It's
1: good. It's nice to be here. Thank you very much for having me.
0: You are making your debut on the podcast. This this
1: absolutely is my debut, so everyone should (laughs) give me a lot of leeway, I think.
0: Yeah. But uh, you've been at The Fool now for five months, four months? Four months, Yeah. Yeah. And so, we felt like it was time it's uh, kind of to kind of christen you. Yeah, baptism of fire. <laughs> yeah, and so I'm very happy to have you on the show. You've been doing some awesome work in the tech and consumer goods space. Thank you. And uh, I don't know, I'm excited. I think it'll be a lot of fun to have you on the podcast a little bit more regularly now.
1: Okay, we'll see. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so we're talking about the online dating market today. Yep. Um, it's I think it's a very interesting market. Um, some interesting stats just to kind of set us off, set some background here. Uh, use of online dating sites or apps by 18 to 24 year olds has tripled since 2013. Um, apparently, 15% of American adults have used online dating sites and apps, according to Pew Research. Uh, one in 10 American adults spends more than an hour a day on a dating app, according to Nielsen data. Um, so there's clearly a lot of people using it. And um, I think anytime that you have this broad stroke interest in a category, Naturally, investors are kind of curious um, as to what's going on. So, before we dive into one of the big companies involved in the space, you want to paint a picture in terms of some industry numbers for uh, the average users and kind of the size of this market, Sarah?
1: Yeah, sure. So, the industry is actually pretty large. Um, there doesn't seem to be much analyst opinion on the industry so far, but we'll go into talk about that later because I think it's because people haven't been able to play the industry so well. Uh, so, it's actually valued at 2.2 billion in revenue per year. The growth for the past five years has been five percent annual uh, compound annual growth rate, and despite the fact that some people are saying the industry is growing down, it's actually expected to grow by 100 million dollars per year for the next five years. So it has scope to go, um, scope to grow, and also China is ex- um, estimated to be worth 1.6 billion by the end of this year. They're growing, they're getting massively into Tinder, particularly, and other uh, online dating. And the market segment is just mostly dominated by the 25- to 34-year-old category at 33%, and then closely followed by 35- to 44-year-olds. So, it's actually not the younger people that you would expect that's dominating the market, although they certainly are active in it.
0: And the biggest player, the biggest fish in this pond is Match. Uh, They control 25% of all online dating services um, by market share. And that is more than twice the next largest competitor, which is the Harmony, right? They're, I think, just under 12%. And then no one else in the space occupies more more than than 5%. 5%, No,
1: and uh, there's actually an industry magazine. uh, So it's called Online Dating Magazine. And they posit that there are worldwide 8,000 online dating websites and apps created every year. And only 1% of these are successful. So that just shows you. The uh, the amount of people that are kind of jumping on this bandwagon.
0: Yeah, so you have this one big fish, and then after that, it's kind of like a heavily fragmented market space. Absolutely. Um, Match. It's kind of a natural segue here. It's a perfect stat to lead into the conversation we want to talk about because Match is the company we want to discuss. Um, they are they're kind of the only really way to play this market. Yep. And so, um, if it's something that you are interested in on the investing side, uh, they're the only game in town, right? Pretty much. And so, uh, let's get a little bit of background on them.
1: So Match Group um was spun off from IAC which we'll talk about a little bit more. Um they have a portfolio of over 45 brands which is huge. So they're kind of on a spending spree to buy up everybody that's operating in the market. So in the part since 2009 they've done 26 acquisitions, which is a phenomenal pace. So they have uh, 59 million active users across all of their brands and 5.1 million of those are paid members. So they're operating mostly in the US, but they have websites across 190 countries and 38 languages.
0: Which basically covers most of the globe, right? Pretty but, much, you know, Depending yeah. on what stat you look at, there you are like 196 to like low 200s uh, in terms yeah. of countries in the world. So that's pretty good reach.
1: Yeah, and any country you're in, you can uh, online date. So that's pretty That's good. They also own the Princeton Review, um, which is kind of, uh, I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about that being part of that. Um, part of their company. the Princeton Review is a test preparation company that mostly operates through providing test papers for SATs. They want to move that online, um, and they have a lot of ideas about how they're going to improve that business. So, it is interesting for them, but it, it fits strangely with the dating.
0: Yeah, you look at their portfolio and they have these 45 brands. All of them are very heavily dating-oriented. Mm-hmm. You know, your Match.com, uh, Tinder, which we'll talk about a little bit more, uh, Gen X people meet, uh, <laughs> divorced people meet. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy, the yeah. the different properties that they own, and then, of course, Princeton Review. Yeah. So, um, IAC uh, Interactive Corp., their parent company, um, is kind of known for their online properties. And that's, I think, why you have that kind of seemingly odd combination. But it seems like with what they want to do with Princeton Review, the, the online focus and the digital orientation kind of makes some sense. We'll get a little bit more into the revenue mix there. Um, but Match really hasn't been directly public for a very long time. Like As I alluded to, um, they were nested under this publicly traded IAC uh, up until last fall, and uh, they only recently spun off. And so, I think there are a couple different reasons for that. Um, you kind of talked about, when we were prepping for the show, the idea that They wanted to separate financials due to debt. You want to touch on that a little bit?
1: Yeah, so when they bought plenty of fish, um, I think they got into 500, they added 575 million of debt. And as a result, Moody's downgraded IAC. Um, which meant uh, you know, Barclays analysts re- downgraded the stock and all, all those kinds of things. I don't know that necessarily that played into the decision, but it, I, I imagine it was part of the discussion, certainly, because when they spun off match, they spun off that debt responsibility onto a different entity. Um, although, I mean, you, your opinions are mm-hmm. on this, and, and I completely agree with you, is that this isn't necessarily their offloading. Bad would uh, to to a certain extent. I think it's just that they want to allow investors a way to invest in the market, and they they retain eighty five percent of shares, ninety eight percent of voting interests. So they they clearly want to keep a foot in the door with uh, online dating.
0: Yeah, when you hear spin off, uh, sometimes you think, all right, this is a company just kind of bailing on a mm-hmm. bad business. You look at what IAC decided to do with this spinoff like you said they're retaining 85% yeah. and uh, 98% of the voting interest right yeah. um, I mean it's clear that they think that this is a really great business they wouldn't be holding on to that much of it if they didn't Absolutely, think that yeah. so um, this is kind of like how you see a founder led business that the CEO and founder still owns 20% of the company after going public it's one of those things as fools that we really like um, because it shows like they have skin in the game they may be going public, they may be accessing some capital but they they want to see this business succeed as much as investors do. Um, so why don't we talk a little bit about the revenue breakdown and and what matches um, top line looks like?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so they ha- bought in two hundred eighty-five million in revenue in the last quarter, and they're a gap profitable company, which is great for investors. The um, split between dating and non-dating na- dating comprises ninety percent of revenue, and the Princeton Review is ten percent. They see that becoming uh, a bigger portion of their profits going forward, but at the minute, it's very small. Geographically, the split is predominantly North America. So, North America is sixty-six percent of direct revenue. uh, down, actually, from 69% the first quarter last year, and international is accounting for 34%, um, up from 31%. So, you can see they're shifting towards the international segment.
0: Yeah, and I think over time, you're going to continue to see that shift. We talked a little bit earlier about the huge market potential in China. Uh, Was that $1.6 sticker figure? By the end of this year. Yeah, yeah. by the end of this year. So, that's obviously a market that they're interested in, and I think there are also a lot of very compelling international markets. Aside from China, so I think when you look at this business, that's one of the huge opportunities there um, is getting outside the U.S. I think there's a decent runway there. Uh, looking at some of the other big opportunities for them, you know, uh, management sites they only currently use about two percent of their mobile ad inventory, and they see an opportunity for monetization there. In prepping for the show, we were kind of talking a little bit about, yeah, like there there might be some opportunity there. I'm not totally sold on that. Uh, what do you think?
1: I'm not sure either. I think that if they can crack that, that would be fantastic because, I mean, they have um, they have 5.1 million paid members um, and a huge number of um, daily users. Uh, so I think that if they can tap into that potential, then that's going to be huge for them. If you look at the success that Facebook's had, Instagram's had of integrating almost seamlessly some of these ads. My reservation and your reservation too is whether they can do that as seamlessly on a dating site because, as we talked about, you don't go to a date. It's it's not like Instagram where you go to look at pictures of um, fancy food and you may stumble across an ad for um, Blue Apron or something. With this, it's very much you going on there to find a date. Um, So the the example that you flippantly used was Tide Pods. You don't want to come across (laughs) an ad for Tide Pods when you're looking for your next date, but it's true. Um, They're going to have to be very selective about what they choose They are going to have to be clever in the way that they do it, and they've hired um, very notable ad exec to to help them do that. Potentially, they will crack it, and this they are resting a lot on the monetization, particularly of Tinder. So we'll see.
0: Yeah, you look at Tinder, and maybe for some of our listeners that aren't as familiar with it, um, it is a very bare bones interface, right? I mean, it. I think part of the beauty of it is it's super minimalistic. It's just an app. Someone's picture, and you yeah. swipe right or swipe left, you know. Yeah. And there isn't a lot of room for the kind of inline ads the way you think about content, you know, where you can kind of lay it in there with mm-hmm. article text or something like that. And so, what I expect most of those advertising opportunities would be would be um, kind of novelty promoted accounts, which I've seen. You know, there's that movie Mike and Dave Need yep. Wedding Dates, yep. and I was I reopened my Tinder account uh, prior to this <laughs> show to just do a little market research, and I came across them advertising and what they did was like they created a character for the movie mm-hmm. and they they created the tinder profile for that character which I thought was fun it was like an interesting novelty approach to advertising um, I think that that'll wear on people's patience pretty quickly yeah I agree um, you know I don't know if they might do something that's more like you need to sit through this banner ad or something like that in order to keep using the service every 10 swipes or something like that. Um, that there might be more of an opportunity there but as the corporate accounts for tinder go i don't think it's really what people want to be matching and doing it's just not really um, not really in line with how people are using the service
1: no absolutely and i think given the amount of competition in the in the industry it's kind of they're, they're being very cautious, and I think that's wise of, of how they play this because they don't want to discriminate people.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, obviously, a smaller part of their business right now, but I think one of the other big opportunities is with Princeton Review. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it makes up less than 10% of their revenue right now, but they see that being a bigger and bigger slice of the pie moving forward.
1: Absolutely. They want to move it to web based. Obviously, that's going to reduce their fixed costs. Um, and they also want to. Increase their offering. So there's a college counseling, which is a sideline offering that they do now. They want to bundle everything together and essentially be a one stop shop for if you want to get your kid into college, this is where you're going to go. Um, I think that it has the potential to be quite successful for them. They feel that there's a lot of alignment between dating and. yeah, Princeton Review getting into college because they think that it's, it's all about what you're looking for in life and what you're aiming to get to, and maybe maybe that's too much of a maybe that's not the way, right way to look at it, but it does. They do seem to have good ideas for how they're going to prove it.
0: So, what are some of the risks that you've identified with the company so far?
1: So, there's a discussion around a lot of analysts talk about cannibalization, and um, Greg Blatt, who's the chairman and CEO, has been keen to dissuade people from this view. He's saying that. Cannibalization is not really something that they're suffering from. The issue is slightly more complex in that the um, softwall offering, which is where you you don't pay initially, you pay, it's like a freemium model, you you start and then you can upgrade.
0: And, and the properties that operate on that, uh, is one of them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think OkCupid is also. Uh, so the, the softwall offerings are growing faster than their hardwall. So the hardwall is Match.com, where you pay an upfront subscription, you fill in all your questionnaires, and then, and then you get access to the site. Which, from my perspective, there is a, that implies a degree of cannibalization. Because if you're someone who's looking to um, meet somebody, you may want to try on a free site before you try on the pay, pay site. Whereas before, when the free site weren't as popular or weren't as uh, available, you may have gone straight towards the hard wall offering.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's really easy to try out something like online dating for free, right? Absolutely. And, and yeah. I think particularly with the younger markets, you look at the millennials, uh, the under-30s, which is a very valuable uh, segment to mm-hmm. be involved in dating, right? I mean, they, they charge people on Tinder that are above thirty-five, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that the age ranking pay is just blows my mind. I think uh, we we both can't really get our head around it. Um, but yeah, absolutely. They they describe it as offering a discount to younger members, um, and geographically also the pay is weighted. So if you're, if you're in the US, you're going to pay more than in, in other countries, which makes more sense to me than the the age demographic. They have been criticised that this is going to alienate a, a, a big portion of the uh, of the market. However, it is almost a clever play because you have these people, uh, 18 to 30 or 35, that are going to be occupied by the Tinder uh, environment, or this is what they're hoping to. And then eventually, uh, the I guess the idea is they'll mature uh, and migrate, maybe to Match.com. Which is their pay, uh, the pay model. So they do, they have an offering for everybody's kind of taste and preference, but, and also where they are at in the seriousness of the relationship that they're approaching.
0: And another thing, you know, as people move to the soft wall uh, properties that they have, a concern for me at least is Tinder's moat isn't huge in my eyes. You know, um, you look at the more algorithm kind of proprietary matching systems that some of these um, more old school, online dating platforms use and you say okay well there's something to that right like they, they have this ability to match me to someone that I might not know or I might not I might not see that we're connected in some way we don't have, that we'd have chemistry whereas Tinder it's like you're staring at someone's photo you find that person attractive or you know there's something in their profile that you're like you know I'm interested in this person and it's do they swipe the same way you know do yeah. you both agree and on the technical side that's not super hard to engineer.
1: No. And so interestingly, some psychologists have suggested that Tinder's got it right, that actually this uh, initial attraction is the right way to go. However, you're completely right from a business perspective. There's nothing clever really about there's no algorithm. There's there's no kind of clever metric that's going on in b- behind the background for, for Tinder. Whereas if you look at somebody like eHarmony, they have their 200 word questionnaire. A lot of people have found that laborious, but it's working for them. And their, their current uh, ad campaign with the do you want fast or forever, really kind of hits the nail on the head with, are you looking for a quick, you know, quick fix? Or is this a relationship that you're going to have for life? Um, So that's why kind of where I see that the market share is going to grow. There is always going to be the market of the, the younger people that aren't looking for something as serious that are going to go to Tinder, but they have so many choices in apps that they can go to. And as soon as Tinder makes one wrong move, there are you know, I can think of 10 off the top of my head, other apps that people can use.
0: Yeah, there's just a bevy of Absolutely. of free dating apps that are out there, um, Hinge, uh, Bumble to name a few, that get at something that's very similar to what Tinder does, and so that that's kind of a looming threat. Um, to counter that, you know, there is the network effect with any of these types of businesses, and yeah. so the most compelling part of the platform is that there are tons of other people on it, and yeah. being kind of the business that's set The landscape and said, like, this is what dating apps should look like. Tinder benefits from that. They have the name recognition and everyone knows someone that's using it. And so um, that's really compelling for new people that are looking to get into the dating space. Um, One other risk that I think is kind of worth bringing up is you you talked about their acquisition history and there's 26 acquisitions since 2009. Yep. Right. right. Um, They carry a ton of goodwill on their balance sheet uh, 1.3 billion uh, to be exact. And that is just something that is important to keep in mind when you're looking at an acquisition-heavy company. Um, There's always, and just as a reminder to listeners, acquisition um, goodwill is often the difference between acquisition value and kind of the intrinsic what you can peg value of a business. So if I buy Sarah Priestley Enterprises for seven billion dollars and the kind of market value of that is currently five billion dollars, I'm paying a two billion dollar premium. That's being pushed along to the balance sheet as goodwill. That's fine so long as we're able to realize that premium that we see in the business. Um, if you want a, gra- a great kind of layout of how this can go poorly, check out the write-off episode that Sean O'Reilly and I did <laughs> a couple months ago. Uh, because there are a lot of a lot of acquisitions just simply don't work out. Um, they've been really smart in acquiring businesses that are within their niche and um, align very well. You know, they build out this very very um, robust portfolio of hyper focused dating sites. But um, as a, a serial acquirer. You know, that's something you kind of need to be aware of.
1: Yeah, they've paid a a premium to own the amount of companies in the industry that they do own. Sorry.
0: And that's kind of established them as this huge market leader, right? And how they managed to have twice the market share of anyone else. Um, The downside of that is, like, you know, they carry a ton of goodwill.
1: Yeah, it's just something that investors should bear in mind, I think.
0: Yeah. Um lastly, just kind of looking at their evaluation and how to think about this business. So on a trailing PE basis, they're around 30. Um, their forward PE is 15.5. So there's obviously um big ramp up expected, you know, within the coming year. Um those are pretty attractive numbers. I mean, the reality is like this is a business that grew its top line at 20% last quarter and their income gap income positive, which is nice to hear. You know, that's not always the case for these high growth companies. Um, and they operate in a space that's very easy to scale, right? You know, it's they're moving towards pretty much pushing everything online with the Princeton review stuff and all the dating stuff they do is online. So there's not a ton of overhead with those types of businesses. Um, so it's actually like a pretty attractive valuation given their growth. It,
1: it is an attractive valuation, especially if you buy into the growth in the industry at large. And this is really one of the few plays that you can make into the industry. And yes, there are a number of other players, but they most of these players are operating under Match Group. So really. You're kind of spreading your risk. If you're interested in online dating um, from an investor's perspective, if you believe in the growth that it's going to continue to have, uh, and it's shown great potential, then this is this is really a good idea.
0: Yeah, this is the way to play it. Um, I'll say like you need to buy the story of people pivoting from the um, the freemium model over to something that yes. causes them to yeah. pay. Um, whether that story will play out kind of remains to be seen, but I, I think that that's a very important narrative to watch with this company.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I think you really have to see if they're going to mon- be able to monetize websites like Tinder, um, but it remains to be seen.
0: Yeah, and they've they've seen some success with the Tinder Plus, um, and I think some of the incremental uh, product increases and uh, developments that they've done have done a pretty good job of stoking the fire. Um, so it's certainly a fun company to watch. Uh, we'll kind of just check them out in the coming quarters and see how they do. I'd, I'd be happy to do an update episode in a couple of months and sounds see how they're good. doing.
1: Yeah, that sounds very yeah. really good.
0: Well, um, before I let you go, Sarah, any questions?
1: Nope, absolutely. Anything none. like that?
0: Uh, you absolutely crushed it on your first episode. Uh, I was so happy to have you on. Um, look forward to having you on again in the future.
1: Thank you. I'd love to be here.
0: Well, listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or just want to reach out and say, hey, shoot us an email at fool.com, or you can always tweet us at MFIndustryFocus. If you're looking for more of our stuff, please subscribe on iTunes or check out The Fool's family of shows at fool.com slash podcast. If you're looking for more tech content from The Fool, follow us on Facebook at Motley Fool Tech. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear here. For Sarah Priestley, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening